Lord, we are so grateful. Even as we sang that song, we are grateful and we are amazed by you. Lord, we look to you today and we pray that you be glorified in our midst, Lord. As you speak to us through your word, it's for your glory. As you work in our lives, Lord, it's for your glory. And Lord, we do just uh, lift up to you, especially today, some of the needs that are going on. We pray for Bonnie and her family with the loss of her brother just yesterday. Uh, Lord, very suddenly, pray that you comfort her and strengthen her. Uh, Lord, I pray for Bob Voorhees. We lift him up, Lord, as we've been doing and, and just ask that you would perform a miracle. Lord, touch him, heal him of the cancer. Lord, we pray for Garmin today, who has this blockage in his intestines, Lord, and not even certain exactly what's going on, Lord. And we just pray for wisdom for the doctors, but Lord, even more so right now, would you heal him and take that away, uh, Lord, and, and just uh, let that be a beautiful testimony to the doctors, to the nurses, the people surrounding him. Lord, we praise you we thank you. Lord, today we are celebrating the fact that our brother Greg is home with his family. Lord, after these nearly nine months of being in the hospital, we thank you for the miracle that you have performed. We thank you, God, for the testimony that that is, that we could see it take place as a body as we have been battling in prayer with them for so long, Lord, and now we get to see that he's home, that he's healing. And it's only by your hand. Uh, Lord, we look to you today. We ask that you would work in our hearts, speak to us, draw us closer to you, reveal yourself through your word today. It's in Jesus' name, amen, amen. You may be seated. And as uh, Pastor Dan had shared, I have a uh, a follow-up uh, announcement, well, a couple announcements. One, you heard me just pray that Greg is home. So let's praise the Lord. If you have not, if you're new here, you're visiting, you may wonder, who's Greg? Uh, Greg is a brother in our church who got COVID last September and uh, ended up in the hospital, was it October, right? Greg's wife, Andrea, is here. Everybody say hi, Andrea. We celebrate with her. Um, so it was, it was September, right? And uh, he just got home this Thursday uh, through in the hospital uh, various times, really told at times they, doctors didn't know what to do and it wasn't looking good, but by the grace of God, and through the prayers of the saints, uh, we see that Greg has been healed. And there's still a journey. We keep him in prayer continually, keep them in prayer. There's still a journey, but he gets to recover now at home. Praise the Lord for that. Uh, further announcing the women's ministry, I am super excited that I'm going to welcome my wife up on the stage this morning. Yes. She is not happy about it. Uh, this week we were talking about the women's ministry and, and how we could announce, and Dan did a fantastic job, of course, announcing the women's ministry, but 
we're just sitting there and I was like, hey, you should come up. And she's like, oh, I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> so here she is. She's wonderful. Her name is Lauren. And uh, we just celebrated our 15th anniversary two weeks ago. And she's like, this is just getting worse than I expected. Uh, so talk to us about the, the ladies' tea that's coming up in just two weeks from today. Yeah, so the women's tea is something we've been doing at Cornerstone for many years. Um, last year was the first year that we did it in the spring rather than at Christmas time as we've done in the past. And it was just really special. Um, we hadn't gathered as a group together for the last few years because of COVID, and it was just a really special time. And so this year we're doing it again in the spring, and I'm really expecting that it's going to be the same. So what the tea is, we meet in this room. All the chairs are taken out, and the room is filled with tables, and each table is hosted by a different woman in the church. And that hostess will provide the decorations and centerpiece and just different personal touches for each of the ladies at her table. So it's just really sweet. It's beautiful. Um, it's just a really nice time to be together. Um, we're going to have a full meal. So we've got chicken and salmon and really delicious meal this year. Um, and then teaching by Carol Escros. Some of you might know her. She lived in New Jersey for a long time. Um, she's a friend of ours, and she lives in Louisiana now, but she travels around the country teaching at retreats and events, and so we asked her to come and share. So I think that's going to be a really sweet time in the Word. So it's just a really special time. Um, it's a good time to invite family. I've invited family who doesn't know the Lord here before, and they've always been blessed. So it's a really good opportunity for that. And it's for anyone sixth grade and older. So you could bring your daughters with you, her friends, um, and it's just a really sweet time. But it is really important, right, that they sign up by next Sunday. Why is that important? Yeah, it's really important. Um, yeah, yes. <laughs> last year, I can't say no to anyone, but last year we had 60 ladies sign up within the seven days right before the tea, and that left for just a lot of juggling and work for us. So I really would encourage and ask you to please sign up by next Sunday. We are going to close it. One, because of the food. Obviously, we have a meal that we're catering, but more importantly, your hostesses are preparing just they're praying for you if you're at their table and preparing personal a no and a favor for you. So, And we're um, arranging the seating arrangements too. So we just want to be able to have time to do that and make it a really special time. Um, also, just to encourage you that if you are bringing someone, don't worry that they, they won't be seated at your table. Um, if you're bringing someone outside the church or if there's someone that you really want to sit with, just write that in your sign up and we'll make sure that you guys are seated together. We don't want to keep anyone from coming because they're afraid that they're going to be seated with a bunch of random people that they don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, please sign up. I'll be at the info counter after service. And as always, I want to just encourage you, ladies, if cost is an issue, don't let it be an issue. This is a fantastic event and opportunity. So just come talk to us. Talk to Lauren at the info counter. Talk to one of the pastors or leaders and just let them know, hey, I can't afford this, or I want to bring somebody. I can't. Let's just talk about it, okay? We'll figure something out. The Lord is good. The Lord provides, and we want you to be able to enjoy this event. Amen? Thank you, Lauren. So, Ephesians chapter 2. Today, continuing our study through the book of Ephesians, last week looking at just two verses, verse 8 and 9, 
And picking up with verse 10 this week, last week this message on grace and bringing, giving us a picture, the emphasis on grace versus legalism. Grace versus the idea of salvation by works and the dangers of that, which is legalism. Saying really in this message last week, I said that legalism is the enemy of grace. That's a big problem. And so now this week, verse 10 really connects to verse 8 and 9. And we're going to kind of just flow right into it. We didn't have time to go through verse 10 last week because there's so much there in verse 8 and 9. And then there's so much more in verse 10 that it gets its own uh, Sunday morning, just this one verse. So as, you, as we've said before, we're going to speed our way through the book of Ephesians, obviously, by doing one or two verses at a time. Uh, but here in verse 10, a continuation of of the thought here of uh, by, that we are saved by grace through faith not of ourselves not of works lest anyone should boast now here it after we establish that it is all our salvation is by grace it's through faith it's for his glory for we are his workmanship verse 10 and we start with that in the the first the introduction of this, this is, there's so much packed into this one verse of, of just who God is and who we are in Christ. There's so much packed into this of, of his great work of salvation and what he does even beyond the work of salvation. And so we start with the first word, we. Who's the we? It's the people we've been talking about since the beginning of our study in this book in Ephesians. We being the body of Christ, being the, the ones, the, the saints in Ephesus is where he started, right? The saints in Ephesus, and then beyond that, and the churches that were planted in that region, but then beyond that space and time, beyond that, that realm and that, that area, geographically, and beyond that time in history, we, we've talked about how Ephesians was written really to the church collectively, and here we are today able to say, we, as a part of the body of Christ, we are his workmanship, the people of God. That we are, the word are is a beautiful absolute, and we see words throughout the Bible that are absolute statements. And we can only make real absolute statements when it comes to the truth of the word of God. And you have a world around you today that would tell you truth is relevant, that there are no absolutes. But in fact, there are absolutes, and here is an absolute. Our identity is an absolute. We are. It is bringing into account our identity in Christ. And, and beyond just this problem with the truth in the world and saying that there are no absolutes and we know that in Christ there are absolutes because Christ is the way, the truth, the life, right? And that is an absolute. There is absolute in Christ. And now there's absolute to our identity. We are. Our identity is in Christ. And we have even further than that truth issue, we have an identity crisis in the world today, don't we? People don't know who they are anymore. People don't know what gender they are anymore. 
People talk all about, I identify as fill in the blank. This is a major problem, isn't it? There's a major identity crisis. And the problem with this is because of the enemy that's working from the beginning to distort the image of God. And that's what we're still still dealing with today. And so Paul has to address it. Paul goes right for it. You know what? We have to know our identity in Christ, who we are. And that statement, the first two words of this verse is we are. This is who we are. And this is all about relationship with Christ. And the problem with our identity, yes, the enemy has been attacking it from the beginning. If he can get us to misunderstand the identity of God or the image of God, then our identity is thrown all over the place, tossed in the waves and the wind. But further, there's a misunderstanding of the grace of God. There's, a, there's an abuse of the grace of God going on in the world. And this all comes back to our identity. And that connects us to the previous verses in 8 and 9, that by grace you have been saved. Through faith, through relationship, through nearness and fellowship with God. It is not of works, because our works lead to an identity crisis. Lest anyone should boast is what Paul adds in the previous verse. That is the identity crisis. Thinking that we can be saved by something that we can do. It's not possible. And yet we have identity crisis when we think that we can be saved by our works. But our identity is found in Christ alone. Our identity is, in fact, in the grace of God of of verse eight and nine. That's our identity. If we are in Christ, we can be identified by the grace of God and not by our own strength. But we have to realize that our own strength is not very useful, is it? So we are his We are his. How are we his? Well, we've been bought. We have been bought, and Paul addresses this in chapter one, but we have been bought with his blood. So we are his because of the work of the cross. And we, and our identity is based completely on him and based completely on his work, which brings us into this key word of this entire verse, workmanship. We are his workmanship, and that word workmanship is poema, meaning, it sounds just nice, doesn't it, right? Just just to say that, poema, it's nicer than saying workmanship even. We are his poema, yeah, that's me. But the meaning of it really is a beautiful work of art. And that's what we are, that is our identity. So maybe you're struggling today. Maybe you're struggling with doubt, with depression and fear or anxiety and and you're struggling to understand what your identity is in this world altogether, let alone your identity in Christ. Well, listen, through relationship, by grace, through faith, you have a beautiful identity. You are a beautiful and glorious work of art and that is not of yourself. And you might think, I don't add up. 
you might think, I, I feel completely inadequate. I'm a complete failure. Sure, all of us are in our flesh. But in Christ, by grace, through faith, for the glory of God, you are a glorious work of art. Poema. Recite that to yourself throughout the day. That's who you are. That's who we are. And I could tell you guys, I look around the room, I'm like, you know what? I wouldn't say it's quite a beautiful work of art. For some, you know, maybe having a rough day. No, listen. But look at the fruit of our lives. Look at the fruit of our flesh. And we go about living life. Is it always a beautiful work of art? No. Sometimes I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, I got pain. I got no voice. It's like way better than it was last week, but I still, man, I'm struggling. Do I feel like a beautiful work of art? No. But what is that based on? That's based on my strength. That's based on my flesh. But in Christ and in that, by his grace and in that relationship, I am. A matter of fact, I am a beautiful work of art. As God created. Now we think back to the beginning when God created. Imagine what Eden must have looked like. Right? We are told that the heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork. Psalm 19 And so we can look around the world and we can see the glory of God. We can see the glorious work of art around us. You could go out to, you know, walk around a a state park or a national park. Or you could look up at the stars at night. Not New Jersey, but in some places you could look up at the stars at night and be amazed by the handiwork of God. God created at the beginning a glorious work of art from the beginning, but Jesus, through his work, created life from death. A glorious work of art in every single one of us, by grace, through faith. We are his glorious work of art. And we are saved not just to escape God's wrath, Sometimes we, 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 just, we like that and we think that's enough, that's good. I have my get out of hell free card and I have, I'm saved to escape the wrath of God, amen. But further than that, we are remade into something beautiful, his workmanship. Remember, as we already studied in the beginning of chapter two, who we were. We were once, as Paul said. We were all once. And we went through a study of the D's, right? Dumb, dead, deceived, disobedient, disgusting, and destined for destruction. And you're like, that was a harsh study, right? Amen, that was harsh. But that's who we all once were, dead in our trespasses and sins. But not only... Are we saved from the wrath of God? We are are made alive, but we are made into something beautiful. And we are made into something pleasing to God because his grace changes everything. 
entirely. At least that's what it's for. That's what should happen. Titus chapter two. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it. Verse 11 says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us for every lawless, from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. Titus chapter two, verses 11 to 15. This is a great challenge to walk in transforming grace. That's what his grace is for. It changes us, so we should allow it to do that. We, we don't wanna, and I've said it before, but we will often treat God's grace by, like a big, fluffy pillow, right? Like a cloud that, wow, I messed up, and we could just fall back on the pillow. Like, oh, it's okay. And we get up again and we just go on sinning and fall back on the fluffy pillow and then get up again and go on sinning and fall back on the fluffy pillow. It's okay, I have God's grace pillow. But Titus tells us that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. How has the grace of God appeared? Through Jesus himself. God incarnate, God with us, Emmanuel. He showed up. And he died on the cross and he rose from the dead. That grace appeared. Jesus came and gave us that grace to teach us. Not to just protect us, to teach us, to change us, to transform our lives. So this Titus passage, a great challenge to walk in transforming grace, being remade. And I love how it, it puts in there, in the present age. And if we believe that God's word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, we believe that it is relevant for our lives today. And Titus writes that to say, in the present age, right here and now. It wasn't just 2,000 years ago. It's relevant the Bible is relevant, and guess what? God's grace is relevant for today to change us and to remake us. It's the most relevant thing in the history of the world. The work of Jesus Christ. And we get caught up in the midst of the lack of truth in the world and the identity crisis in the world. What do we get caught up in? What's relevant? I wanna be cool, I wanna be relevant. I wanna have all the followers on Instagram or you know, social media, Twitter and Facebook, and I want people to like my posts. And I wanna be relevant. We have people who are called social media influencers in the world. If that is not a, an identity crisis, then what is? Identifying with a digital world we have things popping up now called the metaverse. People want to actually live outside of reality. 
but they call it virtual reality. Major identity crisis going on. Not understanding the grace of God. Not being transformed by the grace of God. Don't make his grace cheap by holding on to sin or compromise. Trying to justify based on the world's standards or our circumstance. The grace of God is to change us, to teach us, to transform our lives entirely. We are remade by grace. I've been there, dealing with miserable circumstances in life and then letting that be an excuse to live in the flesh. I had a hard day. You know, people are being awful to me or this and that and things that are, it's not your fault even, but you allow it to be an excuse and you could justify the, the action or the works of your flesh. And we all have the ability to self-justify, don't we? We're really good at it. Here's all the reasons why. But there's no good reason why to make God's grace cheap. The grace of God has a purpose to change us and to teach us to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts that we would live soberly, righteously, and godly here and now. As we talk of his workmanship, we have to talk of his work. We are his workmanship. So what is his work? This is a great comparison to the previous statement. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Not of ourselves and not of works, lest anyone should boast. Salvation is not of works, but his work. Of his plan, of his way. And we are his work. His work is grace. His work, it's important that we realize this. His work did not just improve our old ways. And we think that sometimes. Oh, God, he'll just make me better. God, would you make me into a better person? No, thank you. There is nothing of this person that is worth being made better, but I need to be remade His workmanship is about being remade. It is about new life altogether, not just improving our old ways, but putting to death the works of the flesh. Putting to death, as the Bible talks about, the old man and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ to walk in the newness of life. This is all speaking of transformation. And you know what's great, guys? If we are his work and that is our identity, then we are his problem. Amen? He's, he's claimed us. Like sometimes my kids, like they are my work. Oh man, are they my work? You know, and when, there's the, when they're doing great, it's like they're my work. Yeah, go get them. And then when they're not doing great, they're like, oh, they're my workmanship. 
They're my problem. Praise God for that problem. But if we are his work, we're his problem. Therefore, our sin, it's the debt is paid in full, right? The problem is solved. But are we living in that newness of life to allow our sin to be paid in full? Allowing us to be his problem, his workmanship. So we are his workmanship. This is our identity. This is a beautiful creation, a beautiful work of art that is happening by grace through faith in this relationship with Jesus Christ. Further, we are created in Christ Jesus. This is the hymn that we're talking about. We are his workmanship. That's him. It's Jesus, created in Christ Jesus. Jesus made us, he took us as new creations. As I said before, not just making our ways better, old ways better, but recreating altogether. John chapter one, verse one says that he was in the beginning with God. And when we did our study through the gospel of John, we started with that fact that Jesus, in fact, is the source of life. He created everything out of nothing with God in the beginning. And he, Jesus, comes to man and makes us new. That means he gives us a new nature. We have a sin nature, don't we? We see the sin nature in our children when they're born. Maybe give them a few months, but there's a lot of sin. It happens very naturally. But we are told, and we studied this earlier in Ephesians even, that we, we have a sin nature. This is who we are in our flesh on our own. But in Christ, he gives us a new nature. As a new creation, clothed in his righteousness, acceptable and pleasing to God. We'll get further into that later in our study in Ephesians. This sweet smelling aroma that we can be before God. We've already seen in previous verses that we are made alive. We are raised up together in Christ and we are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We have the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. This is all wonderful. These are great things, great blessings, and all part of being in Christ, in his person. It's who he is. And being a part of his fullness. We get to experience fellowship. We get to experience the fullness of God as we are his workmanship. We receive the benefits of the death of Christ and the life of Christ. We get all the benefits. What does he get? He gets these broken vessels. He gets these, these pieces, like, uh, here we go. But what does he do with those broken vessels? We are created in Christ. He remakes us. And then to him, that's glorious. That's what he gets. So he gets us, and we're thinking like, oh, okay, sorry. 
here's my broken pieces, do what you want. But he gets it and he remakes us. And to him, that is so pleasing and acceptable sacrifice. Poema, a beautiful and glorious work of art. We are created in Christ is speaking of the fact that Christ is being formed in us. Galatians chapter four says this, my little children for whom I labor in birth again until Christ is formed in you. That's what it is to be remade in Christ is that Christ would be formed in us. Paul clearly telling us even more now that our works are useless. That we have nothing to offer God of our works but Christ is being formed in us. Then it's glorious. As Christ is being formed in us and we are created in him, he is working. He is moving in us through relationship, by grace, through faith. Further, it says now, it is for good works. Okay, so now are we getting to a little bit more of an agreement, an understanding of an agreement between James and Paul here? Paul just said, though, in the last verse, it's not of works, lest anyone should boast. Yes, it is not of our works that we are saved. We're talking of salvation. Salvation is not of our works, but it is of God, it is through faith, it is of the, the work of Jesus Christ that we are bought with his blood. And it is for good works. The purpose, we have a purpose. So we have our identity that we are his, we are in Christ, we have this beautiful, we are this glorious, beautiful work of art and we have a purpose. So if you're struggling, again, you're struggling to understand who am I in Christ? What is my purpose in this world? It's all right here in verse 10. You are a glorious work of art and you are created for a purpose and that purpose is for good works. And those good works are not of us, but produced in us and through us. It's him who does it. But what this means is that there should be practical change in our lives. We don't just pray a prayer of salvation and then it magically we're saved and that's it. That's all we need. We, we prayed the prayer, that's the stamp of approval and now I'm saved. I'm good, I could do whatever I want and I could abuse the grace of God. Treat God's grace as, as, like it's cheap. But no, for good works tells us that the purpose of our salvation is for the good works. And what is the purpose of the good works? Matthew chapter five says that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. So what is our purpose? To glorify God. And how, how is that demonstrated? Through good works. The ultimate purpose is to glorify God. Good works are not to make us feel good about ourselves. We do, right? We do. We do good things and we're like, oh yeah, that's really great. We pat ourselves on the back. I did good today. I had a good day. I didn't yell at the kids. 
You know, I didn't argue with my wife today. Praise the Lord. And I would think, hey, good job. I did the dishes. I took out the garbage. Who cares? (laughs) That's not our identity, is it? That's not my purpose, is to just pat myself on the back and feel good about the things that I'm doing. We get a little benefit in that, sure. You know what, further, guys, good works aren't even to make other people feel good. That is a benefit, though, right? It happens. We do good things to people. They're blessed by it. Amen, that's good, but it's not the purpose. The purpose is so that people would see Christ in us, the hope of glory. That's the purpose, that people would glorify God. Because you know what? None are good but God. So good works, where do they come from? They come from God. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. On our own, as we've established of those miserable deeds, that's who we are, dead in our trespasses and sin. But you see, good works, they're the fruit of being in Christ. How do you know that, we're, how do you know that you're in Christ? It's gonna be good fruit. Being in Christ will produce good works. When we are in Christ, we begin to have conviction, and the closer we get to Jesus, the more we look like Jesus. That's what his workmanship looks like, making us into the image of God, going all the way back to the beginning when the devil shows up and makes Eve question the image of God. And this is the battle throughout all of history is questioning the image of God. And so what is his workmanship? That we would be remade into the image of God by grace through faith, the work of Jesus Christ, clarifying our identity, not to be confused as the enemy is trying to constantly distort the image of God. And it is these good works that God prepared beforehand. He knows what the good works are. We don't come to him with like, hey, I've got some new good works, God. He already knows. He prepared them beforehand, before the foundation of the world when salvation was perfectly planned by a perfect father, son, spirit, right? He made a way for us to be made alive and then also prepared good works for us to walk in, to bring him glory, to reflect his image. And you know what, guys? We get the added benefit that those good works keep us safe, It's not just good works for the sake of good works. If we're walking in newness of life and we are demonstrating good works, there's gonna be some safe space in those good works that we might bear fruit and we might have purpose. God prepared for us to be transformed. And he has given us grace for that purpose and given us not just grace, but the Holy Spirit to produce that fruit of good works in us. And we know it well, Galatians chapter five, 
the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And that's a whole message of its own in Galatians, but we're not getting into that today. But that's what the fruit of good works looks like, the fruit of the Spirit that he has prepared beforehand. That is the works that are of him. And that's how we know that we are of him. That we should walk in them. God prepared works, good works for us. He didn't prepare bad works for us. Amen. He prepared good works for us with plans to give us a future and a hope so that we would walk in his ways. And what we see here, as it says that we should walk in them, telling us that we should do it. It's just a straight up challenge that we should do it. Do what? Walk in his ways. Glorify God. That's his desire, that we would pursue holiness. Not seeing how much sin we can be comfortable with, but walking with Jesus to rid ourselves of the weight and the sin that so easily ensnare us. Again, all of this reminding us that we're not saved by works, but when we're saved, there will be natural fruit of good works. There's a quote, I don't know who it's by, but it says it well. Works do not justify man, but the justified man works. And there is great benefit as well to these good works. Colossians chapter one, Paul writes, for this reason we also since the day we heard it do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the knowledge of God is a great benefit to us. Let's go back to the beginning, to the identity crisis between the devil and Eve. Surely you will not die. And it's going back to this idea that the the tree, right, is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was this promise from the devil of an enlightenment, of a knowledge of all things, a knowledge of God. But it was a lie, wasn't it? A straight up lie. And now here, when we get to see and experience the fullness of our identity in Christ, what's the promise that's connected? Through these good works that we may be increased in the knowledge of God knowing him and having fellowship with him. That's a promise. That's not gonna fall short. So we get to gain, we get to grow in knowledge and understanding God. We get to glorify God. And this is all great evidence that we're walking with God, with living faith, seeing then now that Paul and James are very much agreed on the topic of good works. We'll close with this. Good works come from God's great work. And he's not finished yet. 
Philippians chapter one, verse six. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.